All right, church. We are, uh, we're in a series right now where uh, we're talking about the kingdom of God. And the giant theme that we're looking at right now in the kingdom of God is what Jesus is trying to teach people in the first century. It's the same thing he's trying to teach us in the 21st century. And the idea behind all of the parables of Jesus, the ones that start like the kingdom of God is like, it's like this, it's like that. The kingdom of God is the concept that he uses to describe the presence of Jesus in the world and the kingdom that he's building inside the world. And so for us, one of the things that we're discovering is that for us to be followers of Jesus, to be people who walk with the Lord, it means that there is a priority shift that must take place in our life. That last week we talked about the idea that we don't identify ourselves first with something other, some other adjective, some other descriptor other than first Christians. We're not, we're not left or right. We're not political or not political. We're not this, we're not that. What we are if we're Christian, and I mean people not who are just saying we're good people or who are moral, I'm talking about those of you who've given your life to Christ and said, I will follow you wherever you go. We say it is Jesus first. Our identity is primarily in the kingdom of God first. And so everything else that you do, whether you're an architect or a doctor or you're a teacher or you're a mom or you're a student or whatever it is that you do, you are first a follower of Jesus and then those things. Why? Because when you seek first the kingdom of God, everything else in your life begins to get straightened out. Why? Because you have the right set of priorities. In any other area of your life, if you have the wrong set of priorities, then things get shifted and you find yourself off track. So today, we're gonna look at two parables. We're gonna look at a parable called the parable of the vineyard workers. We're gonna read this, and then I'm gonna come back to this at the very end of our message. But this parable basically is a, a story about who can go to eternal life. Like who can have heaven, who can merit, who can inherit eternal life. And then we're gonna look at another parable that interprets this. So that's in Matthew 20. In Matthew 19, we're gonna look at the parable right before it. We're gonna look at the parable of the rich young ruler. And I'm gonna use that to interpret the other passage. So let's go ahead and read for us Matthew chapter 20, looking at verses one through 16. We're gonna read them all. Here we go, ready? For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day. That was a day's worth of labor, work, money, and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again around noon and three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were first hired, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. So when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I, I, am, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I wanna give the one who was hired uh, last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? And then he ends with this phrase, which is gonna be used in the end of the parable of the rich young ruler. He says, so the last will be first and the first will be last. So let's talk about what's going on right now. So we've got some guys who were chosen very early in the morning and they made agreement, a contractual agreement with the landowner. The landowner in this situation is God. And basically the, the landowner says, I'm gonna give you a denarius, which is about a day's worth of money for a day's worth of work. And he said, and they're all like, yeah, that's great. We'll do that. 
So then he goes out 9, 10, 11, 12, like just throughout the day, all the way up to about five when they're gonna quit around six, right? And he says, I'll pay you guys. And he says, whatever, whatever I decide. And they're like, fine, that's great, whatever. We're working very little. And then he calls them in in reverse order. And what they experience is some frustration because the ones who worked all day long and had to go through all of this stuff got the same pay as those who only worked an hour. And so what's the story really about? The story is really about the nature of heaven and who will inherit heaven. You see, what's happening right now in this time in which Jesus is telling the story is that there are a bunch of people who are really frustrated, Jewish people. Remember, at the very beginning of Christianity, almost everybody was Jewish because it was coming out of Judaism. And so these Jewish people were asking the question to Jesus, Jesus, why are you offering salvation to people who are brand new spiritually on the scene? Like all through the Old Testament, God watched over us. We were called his people. Now you're opening up to Gentiles. And if you're not ethnically Jewish in the room right now, then you are a Gentile. And he says, why, they're asking the question, why would you give it to them? And it doesn't seem fair. We've gone through all the hardships of your people. We were you know, slaves for 400 years. And you know, we've gone through terrible things in Egypt. And then we went through all of these other things. We had to gain, fight wars, build buildings, create nations. We had to do all of these things. And then all of a sudden, these latecomers, they get in. The same thing happened actually with me when I uh, talked to my father about Christ. My dad, my dad died at the age of 72, but I had the privilege of being able to lead him to Christ at the age of 71 after living a horribly, terribly, um, aggressively terrible life. And uh, you know, some people would look at that and they would go, it doesn't seem really fair. I mean, this guy did whatever he wanted and he basically lived according to his own standards and sinned and did all terrible things that were violations of what God would have him do. Why is it fair that God would let somebody in at the very last moment? And that's how the Jewish people felt. They were looking like this going, man, this doesn't seem right. And there are some of us in the room that we just somewhere along the way, we also did something similar to people in our life. Like we went through some hard things with them. We went through some challenging moments with them and they were terrible to us. And we wrote them off. We said, you're just, you're, I'm done with you. I'm done with you. I'm not praying for you. I'm not doing anything with you ever again. Like I, you're out of my life. And you don't think in any way, cause you're like, yeah, but Pastor Mike, you don't know the thing that they did that was so terrible. And you think to yourself, they're beyond help and they're beyond hope and they're beyond salvation. It's the same thing that's going on here. And so Jesus is gonna explain this whole thing. He's like, no, no, it doesn't work that way. Actually, I'm the vineyard owner. I, I have salvation and I can give it to whoever I want. And so what he decides is like, I will give it to anyone who wants it. If you want me, then I will give you salvation. If you desire eternal life, I will give you eternal life. And it's gonna be open to the Jewish people. It's gonna be open to uh, Muslim people. It's gonna be open to you know, Hindus. It's gonna be open to whatever nation on the planet. And the Bible teaches us that every tongue, tribe, and nation will be in heaven. So we'll see people, not every person, but we'll see people in heaven from every one of these places. God has opened salvation to the planet and said, all you need to do is take your next step toward me. All you need to do is live for me. And he begins to define this even more in the story of the rich young ruler, which is the story right before this. In Matthew 19, 23, here's what happens. And this has become the story of the rich young ruler, but Jesus tells the story of this fabulously young guy who is... Uh, he's got everything. I mean, he really has everything in the world that you could possibly want. And so he comes to Jesus one day because he's really intelligent. And I think because of what he does, I think this is also something that you should do if you're kind of irreligious in the room. You're not sure what you believe. You're like, I don't even know if there's a real God. I'm not sure about this. But here's the thing. What if what the claims of the Bible are were actually true? Would that not have an impact on your life in some way? 
And you owe it because you are smart to actually figure this out and not just continue down the road, just living your life, doing your thing. I would encourage you that you take your first step. If you're like not a follower of Jesus, whether you're online or in the room right now, at this point, just commit, not necessarily commit to Jesus, just say, I'm gonna commit to figuring out like what does it mean for me to be in a relationship with a God if there really is a God. And we're gonna just continue to show up. You're gonna hear more about this guy. We're gonna talk about him every single weekend. But what happens is Jesus comes to this guy and he's basically smart and he says to Jesus, hey, Jesus, listen, what do I need to do to inherit, to merit eternal life? What do I need to do? And Jesus starts listing off things that a good Jewish person would do. Things in the Mosaic law. You need to do this, this, and this. One of the last ones, he said, you need to honor your father and mother. And he's like, good news, I've done all that. Now, Jesus is telling the story. The disciples are in the background going, check, 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 this guy's in. I mean, if there was a guy who was gonna be in, this guy is the guy who would be in, right? And so Jesus is talking to this guy and he goes, all right, well, that's fantastic. I'm so glad you did. And he says this. He says, by the way, I've done all of these things since my youth. I never took a break like you did in college, remember? And, uh, and, uh, and he's like, I did all of this stuff. I walked this way all my life and I've done it since I was a child. And Jesus is like, it's fantastic. Wow, that's great. Hey, there's this one last thing you have to do. Take everything that you have and give it to the poor. And the Bible says that he got very saddened and he walked away. Jesus said something in addition to that. He said, go and give everything that you have to the poor and follow me. You see, he never got to the follow me part because his whole identity was in the fact that he was a rich young man. And this is not about money at all, actually. You, you, could, you could fill this with whatever you wanna fill it with. You could fill it with your sexuality. You, you could fill it with your greed. You could fill it with your fears. You could fill it with your ambitions. All of those things are things that God has a claim on, but at the end of the day, none of those things should be your core identity. So when Jesus looks at him and he looks into him, he doesn't just see the outside. The Bible teaches us that God looks at the inside of a man and woman's heart, but mankind looks at the outside. And so what did he do? He did all the things that if you're looking on the outside, you'd go, that's great. And as the disciples are listening to the story, they're like, we don't get the tension here, Jesus, because this is, this guy's in, he's in. And Jesus flips the story in just the very end right there and goes, and this is his response to it in verse 23. Then Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And they're like, what? Like this right here would have made absolutely no sense to the disciples because they're thinking to themselves, Jesus, we love you. We've seen you do miracles, but this is like one of those times where you're wrong because we know that this is not the way the world works. Why? Because Jewish people believe this uh, and 21st century people believe this too. They said to him, disciples, truly I tell you, it's hard for someone who enters the kingdom, someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. They go, that's not possible. Why? Because when Yahweh blesses, he blesses financially and he blesses with obedience to the law and he blesses, and on all those things, like that's like really close to the truth. You know, like if you walk with the Lord and you're good with your finances, he'll bless those things. And if you try to walk with the Lord and you don't walk in obedience, there's gonna be problems. So those things are kind of true, but Jesus turns it around and goes, yeah, but even though he did all these things and he was way more moral than you and I are, even though he's done all those things, there's this one thing, his identity was not rooted in me. And that robbed him of walking with God. And if you're like on the outside of our faith and you're looking at this, you need to know that up front that there actually is a cost. It's not one of those things where you accept Jesus and you're like, ha ha, great, it's all wonderful, happy ever, happily ever after. 
It's not like that. Because the world that we have, that God created so beautiful and so good has been vandalized by sin. And not only has it been vandalized by sin out here, but it's also been vandalized by sin in here. Like our hearts have become deformed in some ways. We don't always know the things that we should desire. And then sometimes we desire some things that we shouldn't desire. It gets all twisted up. And then in verse 24, he says this. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Take a look at this. So he says, again, I tell you, why did he have to say it twice? Because there are some embedded principles in every side, in, in, in inside of every culture that people just assume are true. They don't even question them. They're just like, oh yeah, of course this is true. Like we're Americans, we think freedom is important. Now, freedom is not equally important to all people all over the world. It's not the same thing as it was for us. It's the way that we developed as a people. It's the way that our nation grew. It's all, so we go, oh yeah, freedom's important. Like, man, I wanna be free. I wanna make my own choices. It's what we do, right? And we don't even question whether it's good or bad. But there are also some things in our culture like this that say, yeah, you know how you know if someone's blessed? They look good on the outside and they're blessed by God with resources. But that's not what God looks at. What God looks at is the human heart because he sees at the deepest recesses of who we are and what lies at the core of our heart. What lies at the core of the heart of a believer is Jesus. He continues back to the rich young ruler for a second. When he asked Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? He's like, go and sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. And that was his problem. He was holding on to an identity. He couldn't imagine himself following Jesus and having let go of his previous identity. This is one of the primary challenges people have. It was my primary challenge that I had when I became a follower of Jesus. I had to let go of being the leader of my life and trust that Jesus would lead my life better. And oh man, 100% did he ever. I have lived the path of somebody who did not grow up in the church, did not have Christian parents. I am a convert to Christianity. And when I became a follower of Jesus, my heart changed, my spirit changed, my countenance changed, everything changed about me. You can see pictures of me when I was young, just angry and dead inside. And now, I mean, things are different. My life's not perfect like yours isn't, but there is a qualitative difference when you have Christ on the inside than when you don't. The principle behind this is up on the screen. Jesus died for us so that we would die to ourselves and live for him. Jesus died for us so that we would die to ourselves and then live for him. There are certain things inside of you because our hearts have been vandalized that we latch on to certain desires that are not right desires and we don't latch on to other desires that should be true desires inside of us. So Jesus died for us, yes, 100%. A lot of us go, I'm all in on that. He died for my sins. But the next part is so important. So that we would die to ourselves and live for him. In other words, there's always a part of us that we have to be saying no to so that we can say yes to better things. When I married my amazing wife 30 years ago, and December will be 30 years, when I, when I married her, saying yes to her meant saying no to every other woman. And by the way, just, just to be clear on that so that everybody in the room, like that, those feelings don't always just stop when you get married, right? Everybody knows that, right? Like we're, we're wise, right? Like, you know, you still can be like, oh, wow, right? But watch this, Jesus died, watch this, Jesus died for us so that we, so that we would die to ourselves. But those parts of us, those parts of us who are married, we say, no, 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 I'm gonna die to that part of me so that this other part of me can live and be whole. And by the way, if I didn't die to this, then I would be dead, okay? So let me, just let, let me just say that right now, okay? That's super clear. 
Jesus died for us so that we would have to die for ourselves and then live for him. Like when you want to get fit, you've got to die to donuts and come alive to sit-ups. Is it fun? No, it is not. I would love to get a six-pack with donuts. It does not work that way. Jesus died for us so that we would develop the discipline to become the kind of person we need to be so that we can live for him. You are always killing a part of yourself so that another better part of yourself can come alive. You will kill the part of you that wastes time to build your business because you think this is important for me. Everything we prioritize in life requires us to die to a part of ourselves. Same thing's true in our spiritual life as well. There are certain things that we desire that we shouldn't desire and things that we don't desire that we should. And what the scriptures do is they show us God's desires for our heart. So so the disciples are listening to this and they're going, well, hold on. So the rich young ruler can't get into heaven because his identity was rooted in this world and in his things? And Jesus is like, yes, absolutely. Then this causes fear to strike the hearts of the disciples, verse 25. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? I mean, like, I'm a fisherman. You, you picked me off of a boat, Jesus. I'm like way down here in the social structure and he's way up there. If he can't get to heaven, then how am I supposed to get to heaven? You can, you can hear the kind of like emotional anxiety that takes place here. Then who then will be saved? The word astonished right there means they just cannot believe what they've heard. They cannot believe what they've heard. Verse 26, Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. What's impossible? To get to heaven on your own. With a man, it's impossible. You can't do it on your own. But lots of things are impossible for us. We'll talk about that in a second. Jesus looked at them and said, no, sorry, sorry. Yeah, Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So let's, let's take a look at this because this is really beautiful, actually. So they're looking at this with some anxiety in their hearts and they're going, man, I, I don't know what's gonna happen to me if that's what happened to him. So Jesus turns back around and goes, with man, this is impossible. I wanna talk to you right now. Um, some of you have kids who walked away from Jesus. And that's, I feel for you terribly because I have three children right now. They all walk with Jesus right now. And I say right now because eventually they'll become adults and they'll make their own choices. And what you need to realize is that when your children move from being children, because the Bible teaches us, it teaches us that uh, children are to obey their parents, but when they stop being children, then they are to honor their parents. It doesn't mean that they do exactly the same thing as their parents. In fact, most of us want our children to grow up and then take a moment where we think to ourselves, where they think for themselves, do I really believe this and therefore make it their real and own faith instead of just inheriting their faith, right? That's what we want. But some of them never made that across, across that bridge and you're filled with anxiety right now. And what this first part of this does is it shows us what we're responsible for and what we're not responsible for. With man, what is, what is, what is with man, this is impossible. What this? Who gets to heaven and How? Like that's not something, and, and that's hard for a preacher because like I'm gonna get up there on Easter and I'm gonna preach a great message and, and I'm gonna be as compelling as I possibly can. But I know that at the end of the day, if God does not move in the human heart, nothing I say will actually change the person's mind. The same thing is true for you. Like mom, like you, you're just filled with anxiety. I 100% would be filled with anxiety if my kid didn't know Jesus. I would think every single moment, it's just danger, danger, danger. So I get it. I don't, I don't look at that and go, that's irrational or foolish. No, no, no. But, but what you need to know is there's a boundary here. With man, it's impossible. What, what you can do is what we do with our friends, what we do with our coworkers, with what we do with our spheres of influence. 
we show and present the more beautiful story. And I don't mean like fakeness. What I mean is we show the beauty of God. All throughout my kid's childhood, every time something beautiful happened, I wouldn't just say, isn't that great? We went to Disney and had this amazing, you know, blah, 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 whatever it was that we did. We went to this vacation. Wasn't that great? Every time that we were doing something marvelous, I would turn back around and go, we're able to do this because Jesus opened this door for us. And all through their childhood, all I'm doing is just planting seed after seed after seed. Beautiful and good things come from our Father. The Bible teaches us that every good gift comes down from our Father. And, and so what we do, even if they're grown children, is, is exactly what we do. We still present the more beautiful story and we are there to listen to them. And it re, just everything that you can do to pull back from the lectures and simply offer the opportunity for them to work it out by themselves with man, it's impossible for you to change your mind, but here's the other side of that. But with God, all things are possible. And so for some of you who wrote that person off and said, they'll never get into heaven, they're so terrible. You don't know that. So when I, uh, after I became a Christian, I was at a church over on Lake Underhill Drive. And uh, it's a small, it was a small church of like 500, right? And uh, in, in a small church of 500, everybody knows everybody's business, right? It's just how it works. Everybody talks, everybody knows each other. Or if you grew up in the South, same thing, Okay. So, so just everybody's in everybody's business. And so a lot of these people knew me before I was a Christian. They knew my whole story. And so um, I was headed off to college, but I was going to a Christian college up in Chicago. And the interesting thing was like, I never had any real training in faith at all because I didn't grow up in a Christian family. So this was scary and weird and frightening for me, but I'm like, okay, I'll go hang out with these Christian people and, and this is what we're gonna do. And so these two women, these two older women, they were so nasty so terrible. Like, can I just pause for a second? We have a really young church, but can I say we have some of the greatest old people in our church ever. Like they're the greatest old people ever. Like they're wonderful. These, these ladies over here though, the terrible ones are like 50 and, uh, and uh, just awful old ladies. And, and it, was, it was crazy. It was crazy. But our, 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 our old people serve. They're amazing. I don't want to be just like them when I grow up. But here's the thing. These ladies, I was leaving, uh, I was leaving the church and they were over here because they couldn't hear, you know, 50. And, uh, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, I was walking away and I heard one of them say to the other, there's no way he'll make it. He'll be back in a few months. And I honestly, I mean, that was terrible. But you know how God sometimes uses evil for good? I think, I think the father put that in front of me. He said, okay, Mike, you're headed into a situation that is totally different, totally weird, totally strange to you. But are you gonna trust me or are you gonna trust that voice? And that voice Prior to, sorry. Prior to that time was the only voice I ever knew. And then the father started speaking different voice to me. And it was filled with hope and joy and peace and wholeness and goodness. And it began to shape the person that I would become. So the disciples asked the question. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who can be saved? Verse 26, Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. Luke 9, 23. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. So, so we, we just talked about this idea that there's a part of us that always has to die or be denied in order for us to be whole. To say no to some things means saying yes to other beautiful things. So we must deny ourselves and take up our cross, which means our challenges daily, our daily challenges, because we live in a vandalized world. Sometimes some of us need to stop personalizing so much of the stuff that happens to us. You know, if something terrible happens in your life, you shouldn't automatically go or run to 
this is my fault or this is happening because I'm a bad person. You need to realize God only deals with bad people. There is no such thing as a perfect person. So, so when bad things happen, because we live in a vandalized world, we need to realize that we don't always need to personalize that. The Lord, the Holy Spirit will tell you if you're off track. Now listen, if you made unwise decisions in your life and you're now reaping the consequences of some of that, maybe some of that's on you, right? But not every problem is your problem. Not every problem is your problem. So we have to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. And look, this is where it really gets amazing. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. So I'm headed out. These two women have said this thing. These have been the voices that I've heard my whole life. There was this two, two roads in front of me, right? Am I gonna listen to the father? Am I going to walk the path that he clearly has laid out before me? Or will I listen to the old voices in my life? And I have this two options in front of me. These are always the options we have in front of us. These are always the options we have in front of us for whoever wants to save their life, protect themselves, they're gonna lose their life. You know what that looks like? That looks like when you made the decision one day when somebody hurt you terribly and you said, nope, I'm gonna protect myself for now on. And so visually, this is what you did. You took protection and you elevated it. You said, this is the most important thing to me. So what I'm gonna do right now is I'm gonna protect myself. I'm gonna hold on to my life and govern the circumstances and control everything as much as I possibly can so that nobody can hurt me again, especially the way she hurt me last time or he hurt me that time. And you said, never again. I watched my mom, <clears throat> sorry. I watched my mom do, do this in her life. And uh, she and my father finally divorced at like 35, 36 years old. And she never married again because men are untrustworthy and she died by herself. You know why? She hardened herself and she said, no one will ever hurt me like that again. If you wanna save your life and protect yourself, you'll lose it. But on the other hand, if you open your life to him and to others in your life, Sure, you're going to have some people land on your, on, on your, on your, in your life that are not going to be great, but your life will be open to all that God wants to pour into it. You have to trust. You can't protect yourself. You can't live like that because whoever wants to do this will crush all of the life out of themselves. And then he flips it around and he says this, but whoever loses their life will save it because I have access. I don't have a heart of stone. I have a heart of flesh. I don't walk around protecting myself. I walk around saying, praise you, God. I will ultimately be whatever you want me to be. I'll die to what you want me to die to. I will live to what you want me to live to. I will be the person you want me to be. And you will never, ever regret that choice. Never. I have personal experience with that. Verse 27. Here is a moment where Peter, the apostle, he's continuing this line of thinking, who can get to heaven? If this guy can't get to heaven, who can get to heaven? And you see the anxiety in Peter right now. Peter answered him. He says, we've left everything to follow you, Jesus. Like, like, like we were just fishermen, but we were fishermen who had a business. We were able to support ourselves. Like, like you're saying, if this guy who's doing all the right things on the outside and he's been blessed by God with finances and, and, and he just seems to be a spiritual superstar, if he can't get there, how am I supposed to get there? And he says, what then will there be for us? 
And you might look at that passage and you might think to yourself, because you know, you just you look back in history and you go, these guys were super selfish. No, they weren't, they were smart. Nobody enters into a situation without doing the cost-benefit analysis. You might not do it consciously, but you're constantly going, here's, what, here's the good things, here's the bad things, here's the good things, here's the bad things, and we're doing this up and down thing. And Peter's doing the same thing right here. So it's not that he doesn't believe in Jesus, but he's asking, is it worth believing in Jesus? He's seen Jesus perform miracles. He's seen Jesus perform things that no human being has ever done before. I mean, he's walked with God. He sees the wisdom of God. He knows Jesus and who he is. But at the same time, he's asking the question, is it really worth walking with Jesus? Which if you're new or you're figuring out your faith, this is a legitimate question for you to ask. Is it worthwhile? So if it's true, great, that's one thing. But then is it worthwhile? Is it really valuable? Is there something that is to add value to my life. Well, it's not selfish, it's not wrong, it's wise. What about me, God, is what Peter is asking. What will happen to me? And boy, does he give him a picture because these 12 were chosen specially to basically lead the entire church worldwide. And this is what happens. This is the, the next passage. He says this. Jesus said to them, verse 28, Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, at the renewal of all things. Let's start right here. What does this mean, the renewal of all things? When God says time is up and he destroys this world that we live in, creates a new world and a new heaven for us where we have access to the Father, where all things are fixed. This is what the renewal of all things is pointing to. There is a day when the vandalization of the world will be healed and fixed permanently outside of us and inside of us as well. Our hearts will be healed. So for some of you, who just always walked around, never feeling you can fit in, never feeling like you're ever going to be whole. You need to know that with Jesus, one day you will be permanently whole. You will be filled. You will be made right for the first time. Not one of us in the room is whole right now. We're all broken to one degree or another, but one day we will all, through Christ, be healed when he renews all things. When will that happen? When the son of man sits on the thro glorious throne, you who have followed me, now he's talking to the disciples, will sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel because they're all Jewish. He's like, you guys are gonna be in charge of your people. You're gonna sit on 12 thrones in, in Israel. Now, the camera lens turns to us in verse 29. And what about all those Gentiles? And everyone, everyone, whoever, Whoever has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers, wife or children or fields for my sake, if you have died to these things, if you have given up these things, you see that to be a true follower of Jesus requires you to die, that something must go away. And just so you know, this is not just a 2,000 year ago thing. This happens right now. If you grow up in the Arab world and, you're, and you become a follower of Jesus, you are either one, killed, or number two, you have to leave your family. You're expelled. You leave your mom, your dad, your brothers, your sisters. You may leave your husband. The, the cause of Christ, the, 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 the cost of Christ is huge for some people. We don't have those problems or challenges here. But, but I remember when my father first, when I first told my father I became a Christian, he says, he says to me, he says, Mike, that's great, fine, whatever. He says, everybody goes through a religious phase. You'll get out of it eventually. It's 32 years ago, Right? And everyone who has left brothers or sisters, fathers or mothers, wife or children, fields for my sake, your businesses will receive a hundred times as much. So what is Jesus saying here? He's saying that 
no matter what you think you're losing, I will return it to you a hundredfold. That what you will gain in eternal life will be so much more than what you could have ever created in this life. Not one person has ever built a life that would compare with a life that is inherited eternal life. But, and then he ends with this thing that the other, that the other uh, story ended with as well. But many who are first will be last and those who are last will be first. Why does, why does he say that? Well, I'll talk about that in a second. But I wanna go back to the other parable real quick. And here's how we're gonna end. Matthew 20, 13 through 16 says this. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. And he calls them friends because these are his people. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Hey, didn't we have an agreement that you'd follow me no matter where it took you, no matter where, where you would go? You, you said yes. And so this is, don't, you don't have to whine about this and complain about it right now. Verse 14, take your pay and go. I wanna give those who were hired last as the same that I gave to you. And then he ends with this. Don't I have the right to do what I want? And then God's talking about his own personal freedom. Don't I have the right to do with the creation that I want to do with it? And the answer was yes, of course. Or are you envious because I'm generous? And then he finishes with this. So the last will be first and the first will be last. So my wife, um, we were talking about uh, something. We were watching a a news thing. And uh, on the news, there was uh, reporting somewhere. I, I think it was like Spain, but it showed a ship that was really no longer a ship, just a bunch of driftwood that had like washed up on the shore. These were people, immigrants from some other nation that were trying to make their way to Spain. So they have a better life so they could have a future. And all that arrived there, 65 of them died at the, in the water. And my wife turned to me and she said, and you know, she loves Jesus with all her heart, but sometimes suffering is a hard thing to justify and figure out. And she said to me, she goes, hey, I don't, sometimes I don't understand the Lord. Why would God allow something like that to happen? And I turned to her and I was like, honey, actually, I don't, I don't know that we know what happened there. All we know is that there were some people who died and perished in the ocean. But what if the last, those who have nothing, who are trying to find a home in the kingdom of God will be made first and have their true home? And the first in this world that are honored and elevated, maybe the last in the next life. It's a way in which God has this great reversal at the end of all things and he makes it all make sense. And I was thinking about her question and I was thinking about like my travels through Africa and there were children that I saw in Africa. You've seen them on commercials, the big distended bellies, the six-year-old who has not enough food to eat, eating like five grains of rice and just perishes. What we need to realize is that like we live in a world that's completely blessed around us. We don't struggle with those kind of things. But for some people in the world, even in the 21st century, at the end of the day, this life will never provide an opportunity for them to be anything, ever. Their life from beginning to end will be suffering. And I told her, I said, hey, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know about the ship thing, but what if in the middle of the waves coming over the bow of the ship and the ship flipping over and God's people filled with fear Maybe they didn't, some of them didn't even know him. Cry out to him, please help me. Does he not have the right through Jesus to bring them into eternal life? He did it with a thief on the cross. He said, tonight you'll be with me in paradise. He didn't take a Bible study class. 
Jesus just said, I'm taking you home with me. What if the people that we think will be there won't be there? And what if some of the people that we didn't think made it there actually made it there? Because God is good and God is just. The last shall be first and the first shall be last. Father, thank you that you give us such wisdom, that you give us such clarity about these things, Lord, because we, we don't always know. It's hard to figure out the things that come next. All we can know is that we can put Jesus first right now and trust that when things go wrong, you, you will make things right because with God, all things are possible. But Father, with men, it's impossible. <laughs> it's not possible. So help us know where our boundaries lie. Let us not be so wound up with trying to fix everything ourselves and controlling the world because we're self-protecting. But instead, God, let us open our hearts to you and to the people that you've called to be in our life to speak into us so we can experience life abundantly. All praise to you. Amen.